0: Hello, and welcome to Tardigrade Talks. I'm your host, Dr. Jody Samra, and this is a podcast for anyone interested in cultivating greater psychological health, wellness, and resilience. In each episode, I'll share authentic and thought-provoking conversations with inspiring guests along with evidence-based skills, strategies, and approaches you can use to cope with the stresses of life and enhance your personal and workplace resilience. I'm so looking forward to introducing you to today's guest, Rhea Kitch. Rhea is a small business owner and entrepreneur, and she and her hubby are the Kelowna-based owners of Kitsch Wines and the previous owners of Saks, a successful underwear brand. Rhea is passionate about incentivizing personal growth for her employees and finding creative and sustainable methods to find harmony between the demands of work and life. Additionally, Rhea is committed to giving back and furthering both her local community through raising awareness and funds for Mamas for Mamas, a local women's shelter. Lastly, and a little fun tidbit, Rhea has gained rich spiritual experiences through her travels in India and via her experiences as a yoga instructor. We'll be talking about the value of communication and opportunity-focused interactions while navigating an entrepreneurial lifestyle intertwined with family, how balancing business and employee development with personal and family development is possible through shared goals, what it entails to begin sustainable wine production from the ground up and what it truly means to create memories in a bottle that can be shared in celebration with food, family, and friends. Join me in learning more about Ria and Kitsch Wines.
1: A great big welcome, Ria. Thanks for having me. Uh, How are you today? Yeah, I'm really well, thanks. How are you?
0: I am doing wonderful, thank you. It's a little bit of a cloudy day here in uh, beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, but can't complain, no snow on the ground, so life is pretty good. Now, Rhea, you and your husband, Trent, were born and raised in the Okanagan Valley and have long been eager to work on the land you love. After selling a successful underwear company in 2010, you moved back to Kelowna, planted a vineyard, and started a family. Um, And together you produce premium, sustainably grown wines for every occasion. Now, from what I understand, your husband and close friends turned overgrown fields into a lush vineyard. Uh, So let's start about talking about where your dream
1: for uh, the winery began. Sure. So um, Trent and I are both from the Okanagan, uh, but we both lived and traveled abroad and we're very, uh, you know, we're people people and we love, um, you know, just experiences in general. So when we bought our land in East Kelowna, kind of an agricultural area of the city of Kelowna, it was an old apple orchard and when we bought the property there was an old beautiful kind of mid-century modern uh house that was original from the 70s and it was built beautifully then but we renovated it and then we decided to convert the the land as well from these old uh, apples to to grapes so um, farming is so important uh, but it's also not very well rewarded economically and the apples we're not getting a lot of uh, income and also they use quite a few toxic sprays it's fairly difficult to farm apples organically where we are because of things like coddling moths so We knew that the sprays, you had to wear like a hazmat suit in your front yard, and it just seemed uh, not right. So we pulled out the apples, planted Riesling based on, uh, we worked with Quail's Gate, a big winery here. uh, that We have some old family friends that are a part of, and they helped us decide what we should plant. And we love Riesling, so for us, it was something we wanted to plant as well. Luckily, that's a cool climate varietal that works well on our site. So we did that. and. You know, the dream for the winery was really just as a way to celebrate and have people over. I mean, you often have a bottle of wine with people, not always, especially. <laughs> <laughs> not, th- not these days, as much as we'd like. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's like often a thing that's shared over food, around a table or in some type of celebration with bubbles. And for us having uh, something that we could be doing with the land. And it wasn't a big piece. It's just under two acres planted, the original piece. Uh, so it was just enough to make a few hundred cases and we thought that would be a great place just to try something out and that's kind of our entrepreneurial uh, style when you're talking about building resilience you know we're pretty uh, methodical on just bootstrapping things so we really kind of let the market show us and and that way it's not personal you know like if you're doesn't sell you know it's either the thing or it's the price or it's you well, know where it's being sold. So we listened to the market, and we thought it'd be a low risk to just make a few hundred cases to start. Just a few
0: hundred easy cases, right? No big deal.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, I so, mean, honestly, so is- it's
0: true. <laughs> Yeah, well it sounds like um it, it, you know it's interesting. I don't know a lot about wineries other than liking to go to them and enjoying wine with <laughs> friends ideally. Um but you know 2 acres is interesting because that that kind of sounds small in my mind relatively speaking. It is. Um yeah, it, it, and so um what's entailed first of all? Like how the heck do you orchestrate your business plan of like where do I start
1: and what's your business plan and what was that first few weeks and months? So really, uh, you know, the first thing was knowing we didn't want apples, so what, we didn't even know what we were going to plant, but we knew the apples had to go for the reasons of, you know, environmental sustainability and for the economic sustainability. Mm-hmm. So we knew they were going to come out. And so you have two years to kind of decide what you're going to do with your farmland here to keep your farm status, which is a tax. Uh, savings on your land on your uh-huh. property taxes so we had two years to figure it out and honestly like we looked at all these different options and we kind of mathed them out and we mathed them out based on not only kind of revenue and cost to maintain and what they might the product might sell for but also on land value so like if we ever wanted to sell this land we wanted to like our whole thing when we buy land or buy a property or or get anything is to improve what it is and make like add value and create value so you know when you look at a piece of land and you drive through you know a chicken farm or if you drive Mm -hmm. through a vineyard it seemed very clear to us like although the chicken farm or the egg farm might make more money. Um, we wanted something that would actually enhance the prestige and, and price per acre really of the land uh, and have this long-term kind of story to it.
0: Oh, great. So it wasn't, it wasn't initially like, we're going to start vineyard it was what are we going to do with this farmland and it sounds like you undertook this very kind of pragmatic analytical approach as we entrepreneurs should be taking
1: uh, to kind of weigh all the pros and cons yeah so it is unusual in our industry it's typically romance that fuels Wineries, because uh, you know most like MNP or any of these lawyer um, kind of accountants uh, companies will tell you it's it's very difficult to actually make a winery financially beneficial and have a good like rate of return right. or uh you know so most people do it out of romance they really love wine or they really love viticulture or they you know just want a hobby kind of thing to make a few hundred cases and and that's cool um 100 but Trent and I who still like hadn't had a family yet and we knew we weren't like retired that's generally a bit more of a retirement uh romantic dream mm-hmm. so it was pragmatic and we are very uh analytical in our approach to things like this. We don't just kind of like put the money out without kind of knowing our plan. So the reason we ended up becoming a winery is because by the time the grapes were growing, his parents had bought the property beside us that was 20 acres, about 10 and a half acres of planting on that. And, uh, they, they planted vineyards based on all of our analysis on all of what we could have done with our land. Ah. So now all of a sudden we had like 12 acres of grapes and his, his parents and sister and him, they're all super entrepreneurs. And it was like, well, are we farmers or should we maybe try our hand at this? And again, it was the first year where you get grapes. It's not a lot. So it's a little bit of low risk to try it the first year. And every year it's like a baby tree. It'll start to grow more and more fruit. So yeah. first year we, we tried our hand at it and we just got to have an idea. We kept all our costs variable. You know, we rented everything and then um, started to build out the business plan from there. So it was very pragmatic. And the reason we did it is because we love the land We love the culture and we love the idea of creating something that's like a time and a place in a bottle that you share with others. At some point in the future,
0: so this this really became a family endeavor and good neighbors to have, right? The, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the in laws with the twenty acres, and so it sounds like kind of all of you, you know. By the time that you kind of made the decision to, I mean, it sounds like it was tentative at the beginning, right? We love Riesling, right. planted. Let's see how that goes, and and so so, Rhea, what like what was on your pro list, and and what was on the con list? Because I imagine there were you know some considerations that you had there as well that maybe took a while yeah, to absolutely. sort out.
1: And, you know, it's, uh, I think... Again, because we are so analytical we, we are constantly analyzing that list because with any business or anything Especially we, we did end up having a family. So now some of the cons become the time you're not spending with your family Um, Definitely one of the cons for a winery is like I said the rate of return is is you know If you're if you're paying for the land and wanting to pay that back, it's a 20-25 mm-hmm. year horizon on payback Um, Which as we all know in almost any other thing is, is a lot quicker so um, Um, The pros, though, are, like I said, kind of improving land and being able to work with the land. You know, our feeling of the seasons and changes from year to year and really having a memory of every year is really special when it's connected to nature that way. Um, being able to raise your kids in your vineyard and help they help us prune or they help us and you know we eat grapes and we talk about it they worked on the crush pad this year kind of raking the grapes into the press and Uh. helping us sort and So I think there's um, that romantic kind of lifestyle side that's the pro. We love events and having people and you know we've had people get engaged, we've had people come who've lost someone they love and one of their best memories was at the winery with them and so they come in memoriam and Mm. you know just being able to be a part of people's epic memories is a huge pro. Also, uh, the idea of longevity or legacy, not that our kids need Mm. to take it over, but being able to have created something that has a life beyond us in some way, in a bottle, in someone's memory is, is special.
0: Yeah. So that, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, so that that romance or love affair kind of gradually simmered and grew, right, for you. Um, and and as you're speaking, I'm also, you know, hearing so much around um, kind of values, right? That community, yeah. the connection, the memories. And, and there is such a, I mean, we are social creatures, right, fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, the joy of life, right, is our social connections. And you think that That there is so much when we think, you know, we we break bread and share a glass of wine, right? And there's something so connecting about that. And my goodness, what a, a, you know, a a beautiful um, kind of way to raise your children as well.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we use it as a vehicle, like knowing it's not our biggest, maybe financial driver. We've had other things. We had a a pretty large cannabis company that was publicly traded and then um, acquired. And so and now Trent has other, you know, projects he's working with. We have some, uh, you know, we're doing lots of things. So Kitch is just one of them, but it's kind of our most forward facing project. And it allows us to be maybe we're still focused on financial sustainability but we're less knowing it's gonna be our big cash, you know, retirement plan. And instead we use it as a vehicle for, like you said, connecting with community, connecting with mamas for mamas. Knowing that alcohol has a dark side is something we don't pretend to ignore. Mm. It's like people can easily take that to a, a place that's not Positive. And for us, it's important that we support and, you know, address that. So we work with the women's shelter, Mamas for Mamas. We've, you know, we dedicated a whole Chardonnay so that um, the money per bottle was donated to Mamas for Mamas. We do lots of forward-facing fundraising with them and and other organizations in the community. I really appreciate hearing
0: your attention to that because, of course, you know, there's, you know, we can yeah you know especially these days right through the pandemic we see all the memes and statements of you know wine and drinking and the statistics will tell us that since the pandemic alcohol consumption has dramatically gone up and and at least 25% increase um but that dark side right we don't often acknowledge and talk about so i really appreciate that you have attention on that because we of course also know that um you know a significant percentage of the population struggles with Alcohol misuse, and it might not be addiction, um, yeah. but you know, you know what we call hazardous drinking. Right, drinking more than guidelines would indicate are good for our physical or mental health um, is a very real thing. And and I, I don't think you know, I don't think actually I've heard anybody connected with a winery really even talk about that or or acknowledge that. So so thank you for that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's important. We have like a kind of internal motto that like we're all better when we're all better. So, like everybody in our community will be better if we're all kind of doing a better job and being our best self. And, uh, that means like attend giving attention or addressing the the skeletons in the closet or kind of the shady kind of harder grittier parts of our community and I think that that's really important because everybody has a story and every day is a new opportunity for them and if we're all kind of present and trying to connect and and not like be better than or distance ourselves from those issues like we'll actually probably all do better but it is you know obviously like less glamorous and um it, it takes dedicated time and attention to to make sure you're doing that.
0: I had the pleasure of um, of tasting your blog party wine, which is fantastic, by the way, at a health and safety executive event that I was at a few months ago. And so that's where we met and we did a very nice, virtual tasting, which was really cool. Actually, my my very first tasting uh, virtually that I had done. Um, And one of the things that I found uh, just (laughs) <laughs> kind of impressive and and uh, kind of interesting was that your tasting room and where you sell your wine is your in-laws 1,200 square foot
1: garage. <laughs> it's true. We uh, are so lucky to be able to use, you know, the family estate property. They built this beautiful chateau-like uh, structure and it's gorgeous you come there it's breathtaking it's over a big kind of bench with a view of the lake in the city and then we're like hey come around back to the garage that's the part we have where you get to <laughs> hang out <laughs> so um, we are surrounded by vineyards um, and around the house and around the property as you drive in its vineyard and then around the back where we are and so we farm those and we you know crush those grapes into juice and in that garage in the off season from November to you know March we're making wine so the juice gets put into vessels like tanks and barrels and it ferments and then a mobile bottling truck comes it all gets turned into bottles gets put downstairs in the cellar and then in the spring in April we flip it it Turns into a cool street art-filled hip-hop playing tasting room, and you wouldn't know that it was a big production site. You know, a month before. Awesome. Um, now,
0: now between this and and running the company with your husband. Um, family and work are very much intertwined for you, right? And, and so tell yeah. me about how you navigate that crossover between family and work. Uh, what are the challenges? And, and how do you manage that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's every day or, or, you know, I think it's a bit cyclical that kind of things come up and maybe are difficult. And then you kind of deal with them as they happen. But in general, I'd say it's about good communication and it's about, you know, I think 2020 has been great for people being able to have a family and it being socially acceptable mm. to juggle family because, look, kids don't know and shouldn't need to abide by your schedule. They shouldn't be made to feel secondary to, uh, you know, a meeting or whatever the case might be. So it's cool if you can tell them, hey, I have a thing going on, I need this time. But really, it's been, uh, I think, a great year to make being a family normal. And uh, we have, we employ a single mother, and I was raised by a single mom. So we have a lot of love for just like family balance prior to this, even, it's a huge component of, of what we think is important. Um, and so it's about flex time. And for us as me and Trent, it's about, we carve out time to talk specifically about business stuff. And then when I'm with the kids or Trent's with the kids, we just try to be really like present with them and trying to, when you're at work, you do work. And when you're playing, you're playing and not trying to like multitask all the time. Cause that's super impossible. You're
0: touching on a few things that I think, you know, of course, there's many, you know, many impacts and results of um, the pandemic and, and the biggest, of course, kind of trend or impact that we've seen when we think about our lives is that colliding between our work and home lives. And, and uh, y- you know, like anything, I, I believe there's some real strengths that come out of it. And as you're speaking, right, I, I, this is something I've heard from so many, um, you know, parents in our in our clinical practice, um, uh, as well as through our corporate work, is people are saying, you know, we're integrating things in a way where we have more flexibility um it can allow us to both meet the needs of what we need to personal right so with respect to kids and Mm -hmm. parents and in-laws and be able to kind of integrate our work life and you think in some kind of cool way your your little ones right they're in kindergarten grade one they get to kind of come to work with you every day and you think well that's kind of like kind of an interesting i think experience and shift that we're seeing in our society do you have for people that are uh, either running or thinking of starting a business with their significant
1: other? I think it's not for everybody. Um, It works really well for Trent and I. We met when he was starting Saks and we ended up you know, the first maybe year I was maybe helping part time. I had my business degree, but didn't want to work full time with my boyfriend. Um, but I ended up doing that exactly. And I ended up being the vice president of Saks, uh, being a big part of the sale process. And, um, Then when we came back to Kelowna, I didn't work with him and I I didn't like it. He didn't like it. We didn't connect as much. It was like we had two separate lives. So for us, it's what works. And so I think what's important is if you you really work well with your partner in all the things, then it's it's something I think could very well be successful. If your partner and you work better um, kind of with focus on your own kind of funnels and come together in certain aspects but don't necessarily work well as a fluid thing then might not be for you so just recognizing how you work together and and kind of know think about whether that's right to be doing 24 hours a day or, or if it's better um to have some separation and there's no right answer
0: Yeah, so that really that self awareness, right? Of of our and I, you know, I think when we're you you know we see couples in our therapy room, for example, uh, one of the most important um, things for all of us to become aware of as individuals within a unit, whether it's our relationship, whether it's our extended family, is having good self awareness of our needs, right? And and kind of the, the non negotiables that we require. And and you said earlier good communication.
1: Yeah. I mean, for our, Trent and I, a big part of it comes from really being able to extend yourself and say, what can I do? Like there's there's an issue, whatever it is. Being able to say like, what can I do? Because a lot of times um, if we come at it like you're doing this and it's a problem, it kind of creates friction out of the gate and it's hard to get to resolution. But if We enter the conversation with a like, hey, what can I do? Clearly, something's not like right. And it takes two people to have friction or cause, you know, a situation of of negative feeling. So, what's my part in this? And how can I address it? And, you know, come at it with like, the goal is we want to get along. The goal is we want this to be a united, you know, approach. So, how do we get united?
0: That shared common goal, right? When we can kind of keep our eye on that long-term uh, kind of values-based um, goal that we have, right? Because we know that, you know, often for all of us, I mean, I believe this is that our, we have some core universal needs, right? That we all have to be able to mm-hmm. express what we're feeling, to be able to communicate that, to be heard in respectful ways and a fancy little phrase that, that a psychologist use, um, called appreciative inquiry, right? And so when we can approach yeah. asking questions and needs in a way that's respectful and kind, whether it's in our work environment with a coworker or a boss or someone that we're managing or in our families, um, it can solve, you know, I believe good communication can solve so many problems, can't it?
1: Totally. And when you're talking about aligned values, something Trent and I both deeply align on is personal development or continual improvement. So if I always want to try to not necessarily do better, but be aware enough to, you know, work on my flaws or shortcomings then and so is he then it's kind of easy to come to the table and talk about them because i'm not defensive i'm like receptive to maybe some of my shortcomings or where i can improve rather than it being like you know you're screwing up you're making mistakes well
0: and some of that requires us taking our egos which we all have and kind of putting them on the shelf for a bit too
1: doesn't 100%. It? <laughs> 100%. That's a big part and and I think though that that really is made easier by the approach. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? Like if someone approaches you with like something that hurts your ego, your defenses are up. But if someone approaches you with, you know, a way to get better or like, you know, shine brighter or an opportunity for yourself, then you're like, oh, this is an opportunity. It's not hurting my ego. So I think, you know, approach, at least that's how I am with Trent. I try to be really thoughtful about my approach with him because I find that it can be much better received when I approach it. Like, Hey, these are things you value. I know you value them. I think you could be, um, getting a better result, you know, for things you care about. If maybe we tried this approach and same with my team, I know certain people on my team are, um, you know, driven by being able to be creative. Some are driven by being able to analyze and understand things before they make a decision. Some people love going in the moment and doing things quickly and rapid, and that gives them a lot of excitement. And some people really, that makes them nervous. So being able to create a a workplace or a structure that lets those people thrive or uh, have their values met, their needs met is something I think as an employer, you need to be, or a leader in any way, you need to be able to recognize and kind of adjust yourself uh, in order to help those people feel comfortable on their most basic fundamental style level. And then, you know, give them places where they feel like they're thriving or being challenged in a way where they're comfortable.
0: I so love everything you're saying, Ria. And, um, you know, if we take a look at the construct of psychologically safe leadership, which is something that, as a fun factoid, Canada has a national standard um, that speaks to the elements that we know contribute to creating psychologically healthy and safe work environments, something that I believe now in our current age is even more critically important than it than it was, you know, even a year ago. Um, and a key component of that is psychologically safe leadership. And we know one of those constructs is what we call social intelligence or emotional intelligence, and being aware of our own needs, right, and being able to regulate our own emotional um, states. But then also, and, and this is what you're speaking about, um, is that other awareness, right? That ability for us to say, what is the other person's need? What's their driver? How can we maximize um, the things that are most enjoyable and interesting and their strengths in a way, but it is not one size fits all. Let's talk about Mamas for Mamas, a charity group that is, is um, very near and dear to your heart. Uh, you're the daughter of a single mom, a, a young, you know, a, a mom that was young when she had you as well. And so talk, talk a bit about uh, both your um, experience at growing up uh, with a single mom and then how Mamas for Mamas became something that's been so important to you.
1: Yeah, so growing up, my mom and dad had my brother. My mom was actually 17, I think, when she had my brother, and 19 when she had me. And then my mom and dad uh, actually met because my grandmother was a foster parent, and my dad was a you know, kind of bit at-risk youth, and he ended up in a foster home with my grandma and met my mom. <laughs> and um, You know, my dad's gone on to do really well, uh, but he and I aren't super close, but he's, you know, a great person, and he's out in Manitoba, and my mom raised us, really. Um, So not a ton of money, Uh, we lived in a duplex um, and grew up in kind of, you know, one of the lesser great neighbourhoods of Kelowna but still good Um, but what I really learned from her was self-reliance you know you need to be able to rely on yourself she never really had boyfriends she didn't have a big social life she really just worked and took care of us but she also wasn't the mom who like was baking and and packing your lunches and like ironing your things it's like I had to be I was doing my own laundry and making my own lunches by the time I was probably like 10 Mm. Um, and and that's okay you know, like that's a 10 year old, I think is probably very capable of doing those things. And it's not to say my mom couldn't or wouldn't, it's just the day got away or, you know, I wanted things done a certain way or at a certain time. And she's like, well, if, if you're that picky, go ahead and do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, also, awesome. <laughs> it happens, you got to remember that know? as your little ones get a little older. Hey, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I still, I am, I, I feel like I, I, I already do that. They already help us with the laundry and they already, you know, clear their plates. And I think it's important that kids realize how much it takes for everything to happen um, little by little. So, anyways, I, I learned a lot about resilience, self reliance, and, you know, uh, budgeting. We were always not an, able to afford the things I wanted. Or so it was like, hey, I, I was working two jobs by the time I was 15. And that was out of my own want. Like, I wanted things like a nice snowboard jacket. Like, that's expensive. That's hundreds of dollars. So uh, it took me, you know, a couple months to save that up because I'd only work once or twice a week and whatever. So then moving, looking forward, Trent was also largely raised by his mom just because his dad worked away. So Trent is like equally on board with Mamas for Mamas. He leads a lot of the, hey, let's do this for Mamas or let's, you know, so I think for both of us, it's just really, you know, mothers raise the next generation by and large, should Mm. be men as well. But what ends up happening seemingly through history is it, it is often the women. And so we just need to really make sure that if they're supported, likely, hopefully, you know, the youth coming up are going to be that much more equipped and stable and happy and capable, you know, to help us all go the right direction as humanity. Absolutely. And so this is a
0: real, you know, a a personal passion uh, uh, kind of investment of your time, right? With Mamas for Mamas Mm -hmm. and and, uh, very personal to both of you. And we need more men like Trent in our world. Um, And, you know, and you're right, the statistics, right? And I don't think it's just a male, female, mom, dad situation, but the statistics, right? I'm a research scientist at heart. That's right. Yeah. The numbers will tell us that, um, you know, even in actually Couples, um, where if we're looking at, say, same or uh, heterosexual couples, um, two people in the household, we know that the moms still um, carry, you know, upwards of 70 to 80% of what we call the household project management responsibilities. Um, and certainly if we look at, um, you know, homes where there's just one parent, often um, it's the it's the mother that is having, you know, primary or sole custody of a child. And, and we do see that burden disproportionately affecting um, single moms. And, you know, interestingly now through the pandemic as well, no surprise, um, you know, parents have had among the highest levels of stress. And we know single moms in particular are one of our most vulnerable groups uh, for for so many different reasons.
1: Totally. Totally. (laughs) I think not knowing what's going to happen all the time for a year is like, you know, really hard to just keep Uh, calm sense about you and every week things change or so I think it's it's like more important than ever now that we're supporting Mamas for Mamas or even your neighbor you know it doesn't need to be an organization if you don't know which one I think it's just checking in with our community and whatever vessels we can do that with is like more important than ever this year absolutely and, and sometimes
0: it's just offering that listening ear right or or uh, baking the lasagna and maybe socially distanced drop offs yeah, and, and, totally. and those small connections right and we call them purpose moments right we have so many opportunities mm. to have these purpose moments where we can in you know um, small but meaningful ways really be able to show um, support and, and connection for those in our lives now Rhea um, in addition to Mamas for Mamas you are also so very heavily focused on uh, sustainability, and and now while I don't really discriminate with my wine, um, Chardonnay, like many people, is perhaps my least favorite. I have been told and believe that the un Chardonnay, most of us non-Chardonnay lovers like better. Um, now, what I love is you have an un-oaked Chardonnay um, and the purchase of that leads to the planting of five mangrove trees in a village in Madagascar. Um, and this is a collaboration um, that you have with Ten Tree, which which many of our listeners will, will probably be familiar with. Um, and you describe this collaboration as being the result of of a mutual passion for community and the interconnectedness of the world around us. Mm-hmm. Now, you wouldn't know, but my listeners will know I'm a vegan. And so I'm like, uh, I'm a vegan hippie at heart. And so I love, love, love this. And so tell me more about this collaboration, how it came to be, and just the value um, and passion that you have for sustainability.
1: Yeah, totally. So first quick note, not all wine is vegan. So Kitsch is vegan, just so you know. Um, oh, all of your wines are vegan because I do know yeah. that now that not all wines yeah. are. I didn't know that when I, when we first became vegan. Yeah. So all of our wines have been vegan. We have a new winemaker this year. And I think uh, in, in his winemaking this year, it's vegan too. He said some years he's had to use some additives or felt like it was worth it. But yes so far and the intention is uh all of our wines will always be vegan but yay um, I'm so happy to hear that <laughs> yeah yeah super cool so with Tentree uh they're kind of like alumni from the same uh business school Trent went to they were also on Dragon's Dance we kind of became friends with some of the founders just through nature of kind of networking um then when we wanted when our Mamas from mama Chardonnay was kind of getting near the end we were like oh what's our next collaboration and so we chatted with them and there's this uh, project that they support in Madagascar where they employ the local villagers, both men and women, uh, which really don't have many or any employment opportunities to harvest seeds from uh, mangrove trees and plant new ones along the coast. And the reason for needing that is um, the mangroves that used to be there were removed, and what's happening is they they do all of their farming quite close to the coast. And so the topsoil is being eroded heavily every time there's heavy rains Mm. and there's no protection along the coastline from the mangroves anymore. And so by planting the mangroves there, they're going to be able to retain their topsoil and um, also obviously create new habitats or re-establish habitats. But it also promotes, I think, the local economy and stimulates and gives opportunity to to women and men who uh, might not otherwise. So it really holistically uh, checks a lot of our boxes on our values. And you know what? It's been a really big support local movement in the world, in Canada for sure, in BC. And um, that's great. But I think, you know, the interconnectedness of something that happens far away really affects us was seen twice this year. Once, obviously, with the initial pandemic. And then also, we had so much smoke from something that happened thousands of kilometers away, and it clouded our skies. And so it's great to support local. It really is important. And I, I, I fundamentally believe we should be supporting the small entrepreneurs that are risking a lot rather than putting money into the big pockets that, you know, the few get. But I also believe that acknowledging and and putting some attention on things happening far away is, is equally important. And that's what this project kind of fulfills for us.
0: Oh, so, so beautiful. And I so, so echo everything that you said, Rhea. I mean, just, just, I mean, so I think increasingly um, and particularly kind of through 2020, um, you know, and, and I think just beyond, right. This is a world yeah. is changing and the, the climate is changing and, and uh, there's just it's unquestionable. And, and um, I think we all have an individual responsibility, don't we, to make changes in our lives. And, and, and I so believe, my goodness, for everybody, like supporting as much as we can, our, our um, local businesses, um, our local farmers and um, artisans and, you know, every kind of group that we can think of is, is um, not only are we supporting a small business, first, we know 98% of business in Canada, 98% is small business, right? Under mm-hmm. under 20 people, it's the fabric of our economy. Um, but certainly from an environmental long-term um, kind of impact perspective, it's so, so critical for us to all be very mindful. Now, Ria, you... Um, more broadly, also have a very strong passion and interest in overall health and wellness, including our emotional health. Um, and you lived in India and worked as a yoga instructor, um, and you and you describe yourself as being a supporter of dreams and people. Um, so, just tell me a bit about um, that part of your your life.
1: Yeah, so I was not a very sports oriented. Child, I wasn't in sports. My mom couldn't really afford the time or the cost of getting me and my brother to and from places. So that wasn't really something that we were a part of growing up. So I didn't think of myself as a sporty person. However, fast forward to my 20s, and I'm trying to stay fit now because it's not so easy and natural. And I really fell in love with yoga. And what I really fell in love with was the mind-breath connection and and being able to wield my mind through breath and movement and being able to really be that uh, a way to navigate life. So when you talk about resilience, I really feel like yoga and meditation is a really powerful tool to to building the muscle of your mind's resilience. Um, And so I went to India to do my teacher training, and that was while we were doing SACS and i lived at an ashram for five weeks and you know vegan four hours of yoga a day one hour of chanting um cleanses and you know came back and really uh i did launch a small business and i don't really run it It, it's not operational anymore called balance tree but uh, i think it's really important that people um time on themselves and wine is great but um that's the short-term coping and i think um having some type of practice whether it's walking hiking breathing yoga singing art you know just having an outlet that lets you purposeless gives you purposeless space to just be is really important
0: yeah absolutely and I i mean we think about um the The positive impacts on our mental health of any activity that requires us to pause, um, be present, um, and mm-hmm. get stillness, right? Whether it's yoga, whether it's meditation. And know for some people, I'm I'm one of these folks. It's the type A in me. You know, meditation's not quite my thing, um, but active mindfulness, right? And we can be actively mindful. With yeah. The, for a hike with our pets, doing arts, strumming our guitar. There's all of these activities that can get us into. What we call a flow state right that sense of yeah we're so present we lose sense of time um, and and we know you know and I, I just love as a as a psychologist to be seeing more and more research coming out every year that looks at the immense benefits on, on things like anxiety and depression um, when we are able to cultivate practices in our life that allow us to do that. And it's something that we have to keep challenging ourselves and remind ourselves and when we get busy and frenetic, and the reality is we can't yes. do it perfectly every day or every week, right? Or, or even every month, but it's like creating space as much as we absolutely can is, is something we can control when when so much in our life feels out of control. Now, Rhea, beyond just talking, you know, talking the talk, you you walk the walk when it comes to wellness. And and one of the things that I've loved is you actively work to incentivize well-being in your company. Um, and in fact, you offer a one point five percent increase in salary per year to those who meet personal goals. Um, to tell me more about where where this idea came to be and 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 what it looks like in in terms of execution.
1: Yeah. So, um, in all honesty, I I got the idea from a female CEO that I worked for. Um, she did that, and I thought it was brilliant. And so I've incorporated it at Kitsch. So we have, you know, a 9% total package of salary based on different milestones and goals. And in general, goal setting is something we do together. And goal setting is a principal value of Trent's for sure. It's something I try and keep up with that he's really good at, but setting goals and staying focused on them is uh, totally a key success factor of of ours and it's something he's very very good at doing so we've tried to really bring that into the culture and values at Kitchwines and one and a half of those 9% is rewarded based on a goal or two goals that are set for a person personally and this is just to support their uh, work life balance quote unquote but also just to you know really example to our team that we really care about them and I feel really lucky if somebody wants to devote their life energy to my project. So everyone's given, we don't know how many hours on this earth and people are choosing to devote, you know, X percent of those hours to a project that I'm working on and it has my name on it. I feel like, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. What can we do to support you and, and your life energy and your projects? So... You know, I think we live in a time and I think we're going to see it more and more where uh, humans can do kind of whatever they want. A lot of things are automated. A lot of things that used to be human jobs are, are not. And people can do what they'd like. So for us, it's really important that we're offering people purposefulness, meaningfulness. And that's where those collaborations come from, too, is I think it gives our team a lot of excitement to know that they're not just selling wine. They're planting trees or they're helping families. Um, and, and then the the percentages of bonus for personal goals is really a way for us to help them, you know, build a path for their life that really makes them feel excited about where they're going and what they're doing and for us to be able to be a part of that.
0: So beautifully put. I mean that, and you're absolutely right, especially for us, small business owners, right. That are, you know, we have all kinds of challenges coming in our businesses. and, And as you put, when people commit and give their, their life energy or a big portion of that life energy. Um, you know, we know all of us spend more waking hours with our kind of work family, right? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, these days it may be virtual um, and, and, uh, but so important. And, uh, you know, particularly for us small business owners, um, that kind of commitment and investment. Tell me about, <laughs> Some some of the fun personal
1: goals that um, you have had members of your team identify. Yeah, some of the goals that we've seen include, you know, mountain biking goals, like a number of trails or levels of difficulty. We had one girl goaling to get certain accreditations in her wine education. We had a goal around family connection. One person wanted to... um, Actually, quite a few goals around family connection, whether it's seeing grandparents more often or spending more time reading with their kids or uh, spending more time kind of active with their kids. Um, it's really been a great way to help get people kind of away from the busy mentality, you know, like I'm too busy to do things. Uh, that I maybe would want to do, and it's like, no, you're not too busy because you're actually gonna get a bonus yeah, <laughs> if you <absolutely>. do it. <laughs> and, and,
0: you know, and we know, you know, finances are good for our mental health, and and it incentivizes us. That's a reality, right? We're pretty we're pretty simple creatures, um. You know, and here's the thing: we know about goal setting is generally in life, we're pretty bad at setting good achievable goals, right? We we set these lofty goals. We may be well-meaning, um, but we know, I mean, if we look, for example, at New Year's goals, the literature will tell us that 92% of us fail on those New Year's goals. We, you know, we fast forward uh, six months later and, and most of us don't even remember what that goal was. And so uh, what we also know from the research literature is that a few things, writing our goals down, having accountability and having that social support is really predictive of us being successful in those goals. So I, I really want to commend you, um, yeah, for setting that up. And I have to say we're, we're at very small startup stage here, but certainly as we're kind of evolving a more formal structure, it's something that I may be borrowing from you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think the accountability part is the key. I think everyone can set goals and they may be lofty or they may not be measurable enough, but I think where we're still honing and and where I want to see us improving and that starts with my leadership is on the accountability side meaning regular check-ins. So we already have a monthly meet it tends to get taken up with operational conversation, but it's def. I, th- I think you know if we're going to set these goals, we need to check on them regularly and be reminded of them as like our little north star, because it's so easy to get distracted by all the shiny objects that get passed around our emails and our phones. So that's really where that lies. And then my other kind of principal value that this all comes from is, you know, no matter what your business is, it's really only good as the people that you have. So all of the infrastructure around supporting them, even if we only had two or three employees, it's like having a handbook that really clearly outlines, you know, um, policies. And, and it, we wrote it, I wrote it in a very like kind of casual, my voice way, but I didn't want to have to talk about these things when they were all of a sudden an issue. Like, let's say someone's parents are sick. Well, are they allowed to take care of them or not? And would, are they paid or not? Or are they taking vacation days or not? And having just some general leave guidelines and vacation guidelines and the bonus structure laid out and having this really clear kind of roadmap for anyone that comes on board it just shows them that you really care about them and it takes away a lot of the uncertainty around like what happens if and spending that time i think has really shown everyone that's joined the team or that was on the team when it launched like how important they are and how much we are like thinking about them and and value again their life energy
0: yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you you have, I mean, separate from you, kind of four full-time people with your company, I've got six people on payroll that are kind of non-consultants and associates. And, you know, one of the things that I will say again and again to, to businesses is when we're thinking about enhancing workplace psychological health and safety. Um, We, it's not, you know, health and safety is not about policies and procedures. Yes, they help us articulate the things exactly as you're saying, um, but it's ultimately about people and how we relate. And we don't need an HR department. We don't need a consultant. We don't need someone dedicated, right? To all of these pieces. What we need to do is really identify, um, you know, things as they come up, right? Anticipate challenges that might come up, get some clarity like you, you know, my policies and procedures manual, you just start somewhere, right? You start with a page and it becomes two and it becomes three and yeah, and you, you add to it. And so you're doing, you know, such a fantastic job of, of really implementing, you know, probably without even knowing it, um, principles around psychological health and safety in a small business. And so, you know, for our listeners that are working in or running small businesses, um, you know, really important for everyone to know that we don't need to get overwhelmed by this, that we just start, somewhere and and if we start somewhere that's aligned with values as you have so beautifully done ria um that just kind of lets everything else start to fall in place I so believe and I so just appreciate um, how you have really embodied the idea of, you know, organizations, organizations. We have learned if we've learned one lesson this year, our organizations are not bricks and mortar, right? They're about people. And we know that resilient organizations ultimately are going to result when we have resilient individuals within our organizations. And, and so I so commend you for the work that you are doing. Um, I guess uh, I, I'd like to just ask you your um, kind of final words of advice, um, you know, especially to those small business owners that are maybe struggling. We know that, of course, small business has been most hit over this past year. Um, What's your best advice on ways to cultivate resilience within our small businesses?
1: I guess, you know, the one piece of advice, I don't know the best, uh, but what's coming to my mind is, um, you know, you're part of a community as a person, as a business, as a family you are part of a community and the more that you can even digitally connect with your community um i I think that will garner uh support and could you know result in also sales and hopefully you know enough to kind of bridge this gap i think by connecting with community via social media or emails or phone calls and kind of talking amongst competitors. Even when I say community, it's other businesses doing the same thing as you, um, and maybe working with them on what's worked or how they're, maybe we can share staff. Maybe we can share tips. Maybe we can share government programs we've discovered and really kind of don't try and do it alone. Don't, Isolate to every extent, definitely do what you can to utilize your community and also pay it forward Your your community. Post about people in your community doing things that you think are cool or collaborate maybe in in ways that you can with your vendors or your customers and try and build community on the platforms available to you today, uh, in the methods available to you today and hopefully that will help get us through these, you know, next few months.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, uh, Rhea, for your time and your your wisdom and for the the wonderful values-based uh, company that you are leading. Uh, thank you so much uh, to our listeners for tuning into Tardigrade Talks. If you've enjoyed our conversation, we would love for you to subscribe and consider sharing with a friend. We have a breadth of free resources designed to help you enhance your psychological health and wellness on our website, tardigradetalks.com. Thank you so much. And I hope you join us at the next episode. Wishing you psychological health, wellness, and resilience until next time.